you're listening to Rock, Pop, and Roll. The sound that came out of Minneapolis and Minnesota. There was Prince. Of course there was Prince. There's also this roots rock, heartland rock genre that grew out of Minneapolis alongside Prince. And Prince absorbed some of it. This is a dive into why they could both come from the same place. How you doing? I'm Rob. Prince in the recording studio. He's legendary, right? Sometimes a band leader, many times. Prince was the sole creator of music, a one-person wrecking crew who could play every instrument, hit every falsetto, every note, all of it. His first four albums have these words written on them. Produced, arranged, composed, and performed by Prince. Welcome to Rock, Pop, and Roll. This is episode 30. The story of Minneapolis and how it's Prince and it's more than Prince. So let's roll, shall we? There's a cut by Mitch Ryder and Cindy Lauper, among others. It's funk and it's pop and it's rock and it's one of the early signs on the Prince Highway that he could make them work together, this rock and this soul and this funk and the minimal sound of it all that was Prince. Almost Cars-like. Not a hit for him, hit for others as he would do many times. This particular podcast episode found its inspiration in one of the uh, Spotify-exclusive rock, pop, and roll radio shows that we've made. Those shows, they live on Spotify, created like an old-school radio show, tell a little story, and jam to the full song. Something we don't do here on the podcast, just a different vibe and a callback to the to great radio of the 70s and the 80s that I loved. Rock, pop, and roll. I'm Rob Nichols, talking rock and roll and pop music from the decade of the 80s, a little before the 80s. We stretched later than that. That's just the framework for it. We are recording directly from the middle of Indiana, the middle of America. Sitting here at my recording desk, just outside of Indianapolis. Used to be a radio DJ. I'm a writer. You can read at rockforwardmusic.com, the written work. You can go to rockpopandroll.com to hear all the podcasts. I was working on a podcast about Minneapolis roots rock and heartland rock bands and how, as I see it, they were oddly influential in the whole 1980s musical landscape. Then I remembered this Prince Spotify radio show that I produced, and I thought, hey, this is part of the story, too. How Prince, who music listeners, we know Prince from Minnesota, and a bunch of white kids with guitars could exist and, in a real sense, inspire each other. I thought about that. Then I thought about Prince and a mashup, he is, of what he heard growing up. That was his secret to crossover success, right? I think. 
Oh, and he's freaking talented, that too. Filmmaker Philip Priestley, who's, who was making a documentary, he did it, released in 2008 about Prince. He said that Prince growing up in Minneapolis, quoting here, he said he was listening to a lot of radio that was other stuff than black soul music and rhythm and blues. Priestley said he was listening to rock, white rock, which explains why he was so unique musically. He fused black American tradition, rhythm and blues, soul, funk, jazz, with white rock. And I thought, well, how does that happen? And as I read and researched, you know, 1% of the population in Minnesota is African-American. Small population, which means there's very few radio stations that are urban or R&B or black or whatever they're called at whatever particular time you were talking about them because it changed. But there was there was few of them. So Prince, as a teen growing up in mostly white Minnesota, listened to what he could listen to. And part of that, a lot of that, was not going to be an R&B station. So I, I dug a little bit into what I could and tried to find what radio, what was he, what was it that he was listening to? What did that sound like at the time? There's a legendary, the legendary station KQRS, played top 40 and rock and roll and around forever. Back in 73, this is what that sounded like. With a DJ named Alan Stone. Live and let die, Paul McCartney. On KQ, this is Lighthouse. Almost a a progressive rock radio station. There was one R&B station in town it was called KUXL so from 1964 to the early 70s it was the R&B black radio station in the city it was owned for a time by the great Wolfman Jack he didn't he wasn't on the air there he owned the radio station with another guy he recorded his shows that were broadcast out of Mexico Mexican radio he recorded his shows there sent them down to Tijuana or wherever the station was that he was working for at the time. But he owned that station for a while. And this is why if Prince had tuned it in in 1969, would have heard. A goodness gracious, you talking about a gas of a record. That's a goody goody of a record. I can't get next to you. My, 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 free me, turn me a loose, sugar mama. That's the late but great Otis Redding, free me. It's KUXL 1570. Golden Valley. I mean, seems so raw now. That's an AM, that was what it was though, AM radio. That's what it sounded like. Here was, uh, or it sounded like this, which is a classic top 40 radio station. Number 79, number 78, coming up next. There we are. KFTP. Yeah! Machine Gun Kelly with the top 150 songs of all time. Uh, this is about a Jackson 5. It's number 78. I mean, that's what top, that's what top 40 radio sounded like uh, in the in the 70s. Whether you were listening to WLS out of Chicago or CKLW or any of the other 
top 40 radio stations all around the country. The first station that played rock and roll, actually, in Minnesota, in Minneapolis, was a little bitty AM 1130 WDGY. By 77, they'd added some album-oriented rock. Like Barracuda, right? Why 11? Cat on the radio with the Wilson Sisters, Hearts, Barracuda. Why 11 Sunday Night Special Sunday at 8 this week? Peter Front and the Grateful Dead, Pablo Cruz in traffic. So there you go. That's what that's what Prince. That's what he was hearing. By the time he became big, KQRS was still around. 92 KQRS cranking up the widest variety of the best rock and roll and some Boston on KQ. This, uh, this is from 1985. This air check. Sounding more just like a typical rock station. 92 KQRS consistently giving you the best new rock and roll first. You know, if you crank this up, to full blast, it just might blow some of that snow off your roof. Check this out. Here's new for the alarm and strength on KQ. The alarm, though, that's all right. You notice his delivery. They don't talk over the music, which I like from a rock station. They, they do their intro and then bang right into the song. Playing the alarm. Digging it. It's a little bit of the, the history of what he might, what Prince might have heard, what anybody might have heard, what, what everybody in Minneapolis was listening to. So it was this, a lot of rock. A little other stuff, pretty mainstream. That's what you had. You didn't have the internet. You you know go you could go buy cassettes or you could go buy forty fives or you could buy eight tracks or whatever that is. But the gatekeeper was radio. That's what we all heard. That's where we heard our stuff first. That's where we heard the new stuff. That's where we heard our favorites. That's what you recorded on cassette and listened back to on your boombox. It's just that's the way it was and. 1978 or 1984, we made a podcast about U2 a while back, and I gave them the mantle of the biggest and and the best of the 1980s. I stand by that, but I also, I dug deep after recording that podcast, and I got to thinking, what about, what about Prince? Thought about it a lot. He Does he get the 80s respect? that he should, the musical genius that is Prince. But looking back on his output of the 80s, come on, Prince Rogers Nelson, it was pretty good. Mixing all that batch of influence up. And making something like this. One of the most significant Prince songs was a single from his album, 1999. I want to start with the 1999 album and look at the cultural, musical significance of it. He's a black artist trying to get on rock radio trying to get them to play him, helping break the color barrier at MTV. Those are things that Prince was integral in doing. 1999, the single from the album, the title cut, was a hit. went to number 12. But it was that second single from the album that finally gave him a bonafide pop hit, hitting number 6 on the Billboard Hot 100 
1983. Great guitar solo on the record from Des Dickerson, the only time an instrument is heard on the album that is not played by Prince. It was Saturday night. I guess that makes it all right. Prince was 24 when he recorded Little Red Corvette. Everything that he did before Little Red Corvette led up to having this really cross-genre hit, almost. Not really, though. We'll get to that in in a moment. There's another cut off this 1999 album that doesn't get played nearly enough. Just for fun. Let's do it. That was actually a bigger hit than the song 1999 was. 1999 went to number 12 on the Hot 100. Delirious went to number 8. Rolling Stones back in 81 invited Prince to open up several of their West Coast concerts. Didn't go well. The crowd threw stuff at Prince causing him to cut his sets short. Just shows you at the time the close-mindedness, whether it was Sly Stone or whether it was Prince or whoever it might be of color, just could not accept the greatness of. You know, eventually did. But Prince, at the time, rock radio programmers resisted his records. He was not on FM rock stations. Top 40 stations were playing him. Little Red Corvette. I mean, come on, number six. But not the rock stations. The critics accepted him. The fans, white and black, but not rock radio. Maybe a, you know, maybe a station here or there, but not enough to, for him to make the the rock charts. Not even with a song like "Let's Go Crazy," his finest melding of funk and rock and roll, couldn't get played on a rock station. It was a time of hair bands and pop songs that rocked a lot of crossover between top forty and AOR. And rock stations. But Prince, no. How could that happen? Come on, baby. Let's get yeah. uh, just the guitar and the the vibe. so good first time i heard that i was driving around my little town of hillsdale michigan a little am radio station in town that i would later work at i have even been working there at the time because that was uh, let's go crazy it was going to be 84 85 and heard that song played on an am radio station in my little town with the guitar wailing at the end and i'm like oh my god that's so good that's so good so good it went to number one but rock and roll radio couldn't figure it out. I Would Die For You from Purple Rain went to number 8. Take Me With You went to number 25. Purple Rain, the song, more on that in a minute. But Prince was releasing a lot of music in the 80s. He had an album every year, except 1983. He had Dirty Mind, Controversy, 1999, Purple Rain, Around the World in a Day, Parade, Sign of the Times, Love Sexy, Batman, 
That was all in the 80s. Prolific. Let's go back. Let's just go back for fun to the to 1980 and his Dirty Mind album. Just for fun. To listen to a melding of new wave and disco and funk and some Al Green R&B. just uh it's always poppy it's always funk always a beat always a groove element of all of that as far back as he's as far back as he goes we know that after prince died he had a, a vault filled with unreleased music a musical genius was prince the 80s was when we found that out one track one album at a time he was a chameleon but the line that ran through all of it was funk and soul and guitars and keyboards and Lynn drums, the signature of Prince. This is rock, pop, and roll. Looking at Minneapolis, Minnesota, and how Prince and this rock and roll two sides came together. Episode two is going to look at that Heartland Roots garage rock vibe of some bands that came out of Minneapolis. This episode is about Prince and how his sound was the product of everything in his environment. So you can subscribe to Rock, Pop, and Roll at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeart Podcasts, wherever you get your podcasts. Email us at rockpoprollpodcast at gmail.com. Don't forget you can get all this information at rockpopandroll.com. Dearly beloved, the revolution was a killer band. With Purple Rain, they exploded. Purple Rain was musically denser than uh, Prince's previous albums a lot of that had to do with it was uh, a lot of it was a full band he was the band leader but he had prince and the revolution after four weeks on the chart that album purple rain reached number one on august 4th 1984 spent 24 consecutive weeks at number one six months on the top of the billboard 200 chart from august 4th 84 to january 18th 1985. The full band appears on five tracks on that album. Let's Go Crazy, Computer Blue, I Would Die For You, Baby I'm a Star, and Purple Rain. The remainder of those tracks were essentially solo performances by Prince. Apollonia sings co-lead on Take Me With You. When Doves Cry was Prince's first Billboard Hot 100 number one single. Big. This is before the movie came out. We didn't know what the movie looked like. We saw the video and we weren't sure. what what the... Because we... We didn't know as much about the movie Purple Rain yet. We just heard just drums and keyboard and the greatness of When Doves Cry. So different, so huge. The, the last three songs on that Purple Rain album, I Would Die For You, Baby I'm a Star, and the title track, uh, Purple Rain were recorded live. Did you know that? August 3rd, 1983, a show at First Avenue in Minneapolis. First Avenue would later be in Purple Rain, the movie. First Avenue is where he recorded these tracks. He took them back to the studio for some overdubs. There is a video on YouTube of that night, the original 13-minute Purple Rain performance. I believe it's the first time they'd ever played that song live. Fascinating to hear the song 
that would become his signature tune. It was recorded live. When you hear that album, The Great Purple Rain, that was the first time they ever played it, and they played it live at a club. And they took that and did some stuff, and then it became became what it was. This is rock, pop, and roll, the two sides of Minneapolis, how they overlap. You know, Prince, The Time, Jimmy Jam, Terry Lewis, Morris Day, R&B, Dance and Funk, and Heartland Rock and Roll. Bands like The Replacements and The Gear Daddies and Husker Du. That's part two. This is part one. There's a quote from the great Alan Light, a writer. He wrote the book, Let's Go Crazy, the biography of Prince. He said, what inspired Prince to write Purple Rain was that when they were touring on the 1999 tour, Prince was following Bob Seger into a lot of arenas, was really interested in why Bob Seger was such a big star, especially in the Midwest. Matt Fink, who's the keyboard player, was the keyboard player for Prince, remembers talking to Prince and said, quote, well, it's these big ballads that Seeger writes. It's these songs like We've Got Tonight and Turn the Page. And that's and that's what people love. So what Prince do? Well, he went out and he wrote an arena rock power ballad. Influenced by the great Bob Seeger. He actually, Prince actually thought it sounded too much like Journeys Faithfully. I was a little hesitant to release it. Got talked out of it. Purple Rain. Purple Rain. Would that song go to number one? No. No. What kept that out of the top spot? (laughs) Wake me up before you go-go from Wham!, kept Purple Rain out of the top spot. 1985's Around the World in a Day. That album was Prince's experiment with 60s psychedelia, a curveball after the Purple Rain album. It was a a signifier that Prince was not going to make albums for me or for you. He was making them for himself. Making records for himself. It's what he always did. We just didn't know it quite yet. He followed his muse, his musical heart, Sometimes down a path that was not a commercial success, he was an artist. He acted like one. He performed like one. Still had some hits. Raspberry Beret. Big hit. And number two. And he also had another top ten that we don't remember as well. Went to number seven in 1985. Pop Life was... Uh, it was helped by the momentum that was Prince's career. But if you look back at it, hell of an interesting song for Top 40 Radio. You've, you've heard the Stevie Nicks Prince story, right? Right? I love it every time. Nicks, Stevie Nicks says that... One of her songs really belongs to Prince. As she tells the story, it was her wedding day and she was on honeymoon in California and she heard Little Red Corvette for the first time, so she wrote a song that night, start to finish, humming along to the Prince single. Later, Nix was in Sunset Sound Studio in Los Angeles and called Prince 
on the phone to tell him how much he inspired the song that she wrote. 20 minutes later, Prince was in the studio. February 8th, 1983. Nick says Prince walked over to the synthesizers that were set up, said he was absolutely brilliant for 25 minutes, and then left. This is what they made. The synthesizers, the little red Corvette-ish synthesizers. It's all Prince. That song, that was uh, Prince's backdoor way into the onto the rock charts. <laughs> it went to number five on the Hot 100. Went to number two on the top mainstream rock tracks chart in August of 1983. Nobody knew that at the time that Prince was playing the the synthesizer, but he was. His songs became massive hits for other people. Sinead O'Connor, Shaka Khan, The Bangles, Gina Easton. The Glamorous Life with Sheila E. That's all Prince. In his contract with Warner Brothers, he was allowed to start a group. He decided to create something to to be an outlet for some of his earlier sounds, his earlier albums. Prince's childhood friend Morris Day was singing Jungle Love, The Bird, Oak Tree, Jams. Just all so accessible, so listenable. Sign of the Times, maybe the best example of, of Prince behind the Purple Rain album, of the influences that he ingested and that, that he put out there. The album, Sign of the Times, reached number six on the Billboard 200. The single, Sign of the Times, was number three. Prince was hot. I Could Never Take the Place of Your Man was number 10 on the Hot 100. Artistically, I think critics and fans loved the radio songs of Purple Rain, but Sign of the Times, that was Prince. In genius mode, he had a song that went to number two with Sheena Easton. This is Rock, Pop, and Roll, part one of two parts, the podcast mini-series, The Two Sides of Minneapolis, forgotten hotbed of both roots, punk, heartland, rock, and Prince. Forgotten no more. Or maybe not really forgotten. We just want to revisit it. As a live performer, Prince, he's James Brown, right? Influenced by Parliament and Sly Stone. His shows were parties, sexy love fests, churches, soul, groove, guitar, Dance moves, rock and roll. His Super Bowl performance in the rain in Miami put it all together. His songs and some great covers. Dave Grohl still says when Prince did Best of You at the Super Bowl, the Foo Fighters song Best of You, Dave Grohl said that's his proudest musical achievement. It all ended with an iconic version of Purple Rain. Maybe the Super Bowl halftime best ever. Rain made the stage slippery. Prince had heels on when asked... By the TV people, if the rain's a problem, Prince asked, can we make it rain more? That's rock and roll. I rewatched the whole thing, the whole Super Bowl halftime on YouTube right before we, we recorded. There's some We Will Rock You 
Let's Go Crazy, a marching band coming on the field, playing the opening notes of the song 1999, which teases straight into Baby I'm a Star. Take my picture in all this rain, Prince says, into Ike and Tina Turner's Proud Mary. All along the watchtower, the aforementioned Foo Fighters' Best of You. My That's Prince, yeah, on guitar. Raw, raw guitar for the Super Bowl. Purple rain in the rain, man. I love Springsteen. His halftime show was his promise, right? The uplifting, the anthems, the fun, the inspiration, the history of what Springsteen shows are. I would profess that is in the running for second best show ever. Along with a half a dozen other performers, I dug Tom Petty, Bruno Mars. McCartney was good. I even liked The Who. They got bashed, but I like them. Thought the Stones were good, but only that, not epic. Prince was epic. The performance was loose, unhinged, just enough, oiled up to be confident with a little bit of an edge that wasn't just the rain. Kept waiting as you watch. You kept waiting on a genius to pop in and out of the 12-minute set. Not sure where that might be. With a lyric, a guitar lick, a song selection that would surprise you, some kind of off-script-sounding shout, taking his hairnet off and flinging it to the crowd as he did when he opened Purple Rain. That was the prince that we got on the biggest, most-watched, one-night, 12-minute video and audio party of a musician's life. Prince nailed it near the end of his 12 brilliant minutes after a loud and... Fierce solo, closing in on the end of Purple Rain, on fire. Y'all want to sing tonight, he asks. He knew it. He realized at that moment that he'd rocked the house. That's audio from that night. You can tell when a performer's on. He was on. That night was a mashup of Prince's influences and musical self-taught school. It was everything he could do in those 12 minutes, and it was rock and roll. His roots, the sounds that other bands growing up in Minnesota towns in Minneapolis made, the same sounds that we heard on the radio and on our stereos here in the Midwest, where I grew up in Michigan, Illinois, Indiana. Prince figured out how to incorporate all those sounds, the R&B and guitars and funk and pop. James Brown and Sly Stone and The Who in the middle of America and made it rock and roll. The sounds that came out of Minneapolis and Minnesota, Prince and Roots Rock, our dive into how and why those could come from the same place and make sense rock pop and roll thanks for listening we end with one last fact one last song as always we talked about covers Prince Mitch Ryder is a story from 1983 
So John Mellencamp was in Detroit for a, a radio interview at WLLZ Radio Wheels. There was two rock stations in town at the time, WLLZ and WRIF. So he was at WLLZ, saw a photo of Mitch Ryder, the great Mitch Ryder from Detroit Wheels fame, Jenny, Jenny, devil with the blue dress. John asked if anyone knew how to get in touch with Mitch Ryder. It was 83. It was just after the hits of Jack and Diane and Hurt So Good before Uh Uh-Huh was recorded. The album that Mellencamp had that had Pink Houses, Authority Song, and Crumbling Down. He got a hold of Mitch Ryder. He brought Mitch to Indiana, just outside of Bloomington, produced the Never Kick a Sleeping Dog album, recorded it in a converted, ratted-out old farmhouse, recording equipment lifted from a studio in Miami, Florida, Criteria Studios. It brought that to Indiana. In the Mellencamp biography great book mitch was something man and i'm sure mellencamp was something at the time and it was the band it was mellencamp's classic band with larry crane on guitar mike wanchek on guitar kenny aronoff on drums toby myers on bass they made this album and when you were mine was on there it would be the first prince cover to hit the hot 100 more evidence of that link between Prince's music and Heartland guitar chords with Midwest white guys, right? Raised on Soul and Motown and James Brown, too. Rockers who got the greatness of Prince and his melding of it all. This is that tune off of Never Kick a Sleeping Dog and Mitch Ryder and Mel and Camp's band. Thanks for listening to Rock, Pop, and Roll. I'm Rob. We're out of here. Be good to each other.